kid. You ready, Chad? I'm ready, dude. Let's play ball. I'm Sammy Eisberg. This week, we are here with uh, Chad Longworth. So we're just going to go right into it. So what is your baseball background, and what are you doing uh, right now? So my baseball background as a player or as a coach or just all the above? All the above. above. Okay, well, um, I was an underachieving 12th-round draft pick out of high school by the Cleveland Indians. I spent four years playing minor league baseball, riding buses. Um, I wasn't as good as I thought I should have been. And so after I got done playing, uh, I just kind of set out to figure out what I did wrong and why I didn't make it as far as I should have made it or felt like I should have made it. And so I've been a coach in high school for five years after that, uh, three as assistant, two as a head coach, uh, just several different things, consolidation, politics, and uh, I didn't have a coaching job anymore. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to do this the way I want to do it. And I'm not going to answer it to anybody. I'm not going to. And so I started doing lessons. Uh, we probably did lessons. You know, I, I opened up my own, you know, small little batting cage. If you see my videos or anything that I've done in the old block building here in the town with 3,000 people in it. And we were going to try to help players figure it out like I was trying to figure it out. Now, we probably did that for, I guess, 2011, probably four years, I suppose. Kind of ran that lesson model for about four years. And then one day I, uh, I picked up a bat sensor in a batting cage. Thought it was cool and interesting. I had no idea what I was looking at. And so started messing around with bat sensors and came, and came, uh, driveline and came hit tracks. And, you know, before I could figure it all out, we were a full fledged, you know, we're running full fledged, like player development training. We're kind of out of the one-on-one lesson model. We're much more into the constraint led approach modeling skill development skill acquisition modeling we're you know we're doing velocity development we're doing weighted bats we're doing hit tracks we're doing and so that's kind of where we are today as it continues to evolve and you know the promise that i started to myself 11 years ago is i'm going to just going to try to continue to figure it out what went wrong in my own career and shared it with as many people as i can and that's kind of where we are today and that's what we do today. So I'm going to share a little bit of backstory, which gets me into my first question here. So I think it was two seasons ago, I showed up to the field for, I think I believe it was a game. And my dad and I show up about 30 minutes early so I can get my actual stretching in. Because uh, what my team usually does is just throws, which is sure. true stretching. Um, and we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And it gets to five minutes before the game. And nobody's there. So they have about, and then with two minutes left, everybody starts to show up. So it kind of gets me to the question, why is just getting on the field and throwing bad for you? So one of the things I always say on the internet and on Twitter is, you you need to warm up to throw. You don't need to throw to warm up. Um, You know, I think that when it comes time to throw the ball, you need to throw it at an intent level to where your mechanics can somewhat 
take their own shape. And if you're just lobbing a ball or if you're just tossing a ball, amongst other things that are going to potentially go wrong with your decelerator muscles and the posterior part of your shoulder and all the other things, your mechanics kind of get out of whack. So like 10, 15%, 20, 25% of your throwing that you do, if you don't properly warm up is done mechanically incorrect. And so I think that it's important that when you, when you throw and you get into your throwing program, that by the time you should, it's time to throw a baseball. Like you should be throwing it at an intent level where your mechanics are sequencing properly and organizing properly. And like just lobbing a ball to get loose is is not going to help you do that. So a lot of people that I interviewed on this podcast so far either have had um, surgery on their arm or have worked in the field of pitching. And the main thing that a lot of they, a lot of them say is that when they were younger, all they wanted to do was arm care, so they a did not have to have that surgery. They didn't have to get out of uh, playing. So why do you think young players are not doing that arm care that they should be doing, and they know that they should be doing? Uh, it's boring, I suppose. A lot of it is boring. A lot of it is tedious work. You know, it's the same J band routine. It's the spinner routine. It's reverse plyo throws. It's whatever you do, but it's like the the, the tedious work of doing it day in and day out. I think you know, we live in a time of instant gratification. If you can't see the result right then and there, then I'm just going to skip gloss over it and get to, get to where I feel, I guess, that gratification. And arm care is like not the sexiest thing in the world. It's kind of like taking vitamins. That's what I tell people all the time. You know, We know that vitamins are good for you, but a lot of people don't take them. Like way more people smoke than take vitamins every day. We know smoking's bad and we know vitamins are good. Why don't we do that? Well, I, I don't know that answer, but you know, arm care is kind of on the same line. Like we know that it's good and yet we don't prioritize it. And I think that starts kind of from the top for where, you know, the leader of the group, whether it be an adult or a coach or even a player, if you're not gonna, you know, prioritize arm care for the the younger generation then they're probably just not going to do it and as sad as that is that's kind of the reality of it you know we can pitch counts don't solve all the problems we have um arm care doesn't solve all the problems we have but some combination of of that plus being strong plus being able to to handle and accept force different forces and stress on your arms all of that i think encompasses the, the problem i think that we are in so uh, my next question here is, why did you create the spinner? What does it do? And uh, what is it the best, what is like the best way to use it? So I'm generally a, like a curious guy that likes to solve problems and find solutions to things. And it was a couple of years ago, we were training college guys in the summer and you know, we're doing our driveline programming um, and Shoulder tube is an excellent tool within that. It's a tool that we use on our floor, but the problem that we were finding was when our guys left the building, and, and actually I had I was I had seen a Twitter conversation between Kyle and somebody somewhere kind of outlining the same problem of the portability of the shoulder tube. The shoulder tube is just it's big, and it doesn't pack well. 
And a lot of people have a problem transporting it to do their rhythmic shoulder stabilization work in their shoulder warm-up. I thought, well, you know, that's interesting because we kind of have the same problem. So maybe I can figure some, build something and, and fix it. And so we did several different things that didn't work that good. We built a collapsible tube that wasn't that good. It worked a little bit, but it broke easily. Uh, a year, kind of a year went by. And then there were a culmination of a couple of things that just gave me the idea of a spinning tool. Maybe, maybe like a similar pre-existing product, but not, not exactly similar, but kind of the rotating part. And a couple of ideas from a couple of people that we train and trainers that I've been around. I thought, well, maybe I can build that. And so we threw it together and it worked the first time. And there's a whole big story behind the building the prototype to building the product to building it where it is today. It's been updated three or four times on just better ways to do things. And we built a rotating rhythmic shoulder stabilization tool that packs in a bag. So our players and players like you can do rhythmic shoulder stabilization in their pre and post throwing routines. Cause again, it's important and you need to do it. So we built a tool where you could do it and pack it and go and do it. And then the uh, final question here that I ask everybody is who was the best player you ever got to share the field with in the same team or opposing team? I was telling somebody this story the other day. My background is not in pitching. Uh, we've trained pitchers and we've trained velocity building. My back, I was drafted as a hitter. And so I'm 0 for 2 in my lifetime against Andy Pettit, who at one time was probably, I think he was the winningest postseason pitcher of all time. I don't know if he still is. He might be, but I'm 0 for 2 with two strikeouts. But I had two really good at-bats where he struck me out on backdoor breaking ball the first time in a 3-2 count. And then he struck me out the second time on a 2-2 slider that almost hit me in the back foot uh, where I went down 0-2 both times and kind of fought off pitches and battled back. And I think he just got tired of dealing with me, so he threw me a backdoor breaking ball on a 3-2 count and a slider in a 2-2 count that almost hit me in the back foot. So I'd just go sit back down. Uh, him, we missed Roy Halliday in a minor league start one time by like two days. That would have been awesome. I would have gladly taken my two strikeouts off of him too. Um, probably not facing, maybe sharing the field with, uh, I guess. So like Tony Sip was on my A-ball team and he was, he's still in the big leagues. He's with the nationals, I think. Uh, big leaguers. I played right field one time with Coco Crisp. I don't know if you know Coco or not. I know probably Coco know the Crisp. name. Yeah, I played right in a Triple A game in spring training one time. They said you can go to whatever game. They're young guys. You can go to whatever game you want to go to and sit in the dugout. And I was like, all right, I'm going to Triple A game. And like the guy put me in. I'm like, what the crap? You know, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing out here. And Coco's playing center, and I'm playing right. And that was that. And so it's a couple of good I good players that I got the privilege to share the field with. Thank you, Chad, for playing ball with the Playball Kid Show. Hey, 
Hey, it's Sammy here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I would like to ask for your help. Tell me what questions you would like answered. If you could also take a moment to review the show. The algorithms are taking into account how many ratings and reviews I get. The more reviews, the more people they restore the podcast with. Thank you, CJL715, for the review this week. And don't forget to play ball, kid.